Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast with the bone structure of young Ted Danson, with the swagger and charisma of old Ted Danson. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. And a you magenta darling, built from steel and optimistic takes, and the only man that can talk me off of a bridge. How are you, sir? It's good to be here, man. You know, you and I have been really looking forward to this pod after last week's game and uh, had a spirited talk after the game, as you and I are known to do, uh, hence our uh, our 2019 debate between Jeff Okuda and Nico Collins. So always good to have these talks, man. Yeah, yeah. I had myself a weekend and uh, really just a great first game for Pops. We enjoyed ourselves at first during the game. I was like, man, it would have been better to watch a blowout. And I'm like, no, you got to see a close game. The weather was good. It was an awesome weekend in Ann Arbor. There was a buzz around town. It was definitely a lot of fun. I had some takes afterwards, though. Some of those have mellowed. Some of those will be uh, spoken on during this podcast. But first, let's get into some quick hits. Um, we officially need to be on Tom Brady watch. We didn't mention this last week, but Tom Brady has never looked worse. And we're going to start checking in on this week to week. I'm concerned for his well-being. That's our boy there. I mean, to say he looks gaunt is one thing, but he looks like he's auditioning for a role as a ballerina in the Black Swan 2. <laughs> yeah, it's an insult to gaunt people to say Tom Brady looks gaunt. I mean, it looks like... I don't know. He looks like uh, what happens to you when you look in um, the Ark of the Covenant where it's like sucks everything out of you. That's kind of what Tom Brady is starting to resemble. And I am concerned. Yeah, me too. So that's our boy. Uh, go be with your supermodel wife. It's time to call it, man. Who cares if the retirement's not as cool as you would have liked it? Like, it, it's not looking good for our boy. So uh, we're starting Brady Watch as of this week. I'll be keeping an eye on this. I'm sure you will as well. Um, you know, Michigan legend. It's worth it worth it's worth looking into. Uh, next quick hit basketball captains have been announced. Nothing too surprising, although Jace Howard being one of the captains, along with Hunter Dickinson and Terry Two Sticks, was a bit of a surprise. How do you feel about these three captains? Man, I absolutely love it. Uh, in the summer, I sent you an interview with Hunter Dickinson talking about the upcoming season with Brian Bush and leadership and development. And you and I immediately jumped aboard the Hunter train because this is the maturation we've been waiting to see. And as far as Jace Howard, he was on a podcast a few weeks ago talking about the team and the way he speaks and carries himself. I think he really epitomizes what it takes to be a team first kind of guy. So I love these three choices for the captains. They would have been mine as well. I think so as well. And Jace Howard looks absolutely yoked, put in that work in the offseason. So that's a guy that I think is going to be just like a glue dude and, and, and a great glue dude at that. Terry Two Sticks in for a big year, sticking around. Glad to see him back. I'm with it too, man. It's not quite time to start talking about basketball, but when that time comes, I'm excited to get there. Uh, it is time to at least start previewing hockey. I'm going to let you cook here, my friend. What's going on with the hockey team? Give me a little breakdown. Yes, uh, this weekend, the exhibition game, first one of the season against Windsor takes place at Yost Arena in Ann Arbor. First taste of the team. Regular season opens up the following week at home. Um, no, this is a very exciting time because the Michigan team is preseason number six in the USA Today poll. Uh, key players you need to know um, off the top are defenseman Luke Hughes. He could be a favorite for player of the year nationally. Uh, goalie Eric Portillo, also a dog. Mackie, Mackie Samuskevich, dog. And for the freshmen to watch, I could give you a few. Frankie Nazar, uh, Seamus Casey, 
uh, Rutger McGordy, but really need to watch Adam Fantilli. He's probably going to be a top three draft pick in the entire NHL draft in 2023. He doesn't turn 18 until next month. He is very young, super talented. So um, going to be a fun year. Check out everything on mazenbrew.com. I wrote an FAQ article about the upcoming season, new head coach, everybody need to know, heavy hitters, wild cards, everything you need. My man's got you covered this year. You started with that last year, did an outstanding job. Looking forward to reading your coverage this year. You definitely got me into it. I mean, it, it definitely helps when you're a top 10 team and, you know, new coach coming in as well. That's something to watch. So uh, a lot of new faces as well. You mentioned some of the freshmen. I'm going to I'm going to try and watch as much as I possibly can this year. I'm going to be as tuned in as a human possibly can be while still trying to have a life and travel and cover Michigan football completely fully. But what I can't watch, I will be turning to you for your your sound wisdom and advice, sir. Say <laughs> so as long as we continue, you know, our lifelong friendship, we're going to be good because it's going to seep in like via osmosis, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's coming for me and there's nothing I can do. Just let it wash over me in an awesome wave. Uh, <laughs> speaking of awesome waves, got to give a shout out to Ryan from Charlotte. Sent you a cool email. Uh, when we did our little piece on the nicknames, trying to come up with new ones. And uh, he brought up a great point that Money Moody is so simple and easy and just kind of cheap. Uh, he went with Jake the Make, and I'm going to have to go with that for Jake Moody. Even though he missed one uh, against Maryland this weekend, I still think that he's earned that one. We're going to go ahead and start implementing that as of right now. Yeah, Jake the Make is good, referencing uh, heel Jake the Snake Roberts from WWE Wrestling Lore. Uh, just an excellent nickname. Ryan, shout out to you, man. Really appreciate the email, the kind words. Love interacting with any listener via Twitter, via email, especially when you just want to talk ball and talk nicknames especially. We got a listener on this podcast today. So, yeah, definitely all about that. Thank you. Always send us over your thoughts. Our uh, our editor, Vaughn, came up with a nickname for uh, J James Jonathan McCarthy. I don't know what the actual JJ stands for, but he gave us Jesus McCarthy. I've been trying it on for size. I don't hate it, but I don't know that I'm there yet. I don't know if we can commit to it. I think the gimmick for us should be to always change the J's. Like, you know how it's Wheezy F Baby for Lil Wayne's nickname, but he always changes the F, like what it means to rhyme. Like we it. should always change JJ's initials to be like John Jansen McCarthy and stuff like that. I like it. I'm going to come up with a extensive list of J names and words, and I'm going to start throwing that out there. But I was trying Jonathan Jesus McCarthy out at the game, and I'm like, it's not quite there. I like where we're headed, but there's a direction here. We're going to have a nickname for him soon enough. Um, any other quick hits, sir? And then let's get into the meat of this thing. No, let's keep it rolling. Absolutely. So the Mar Maryland game, uh, we did not cover. But uh, when I say we, believe me, I lost my face on this one. So we were both wrong on the final score of this one. But Michigan does come out on top at the end of the day. I have some thoughts. I don't even really know where to begin with this one. It was a beautiful day in Michigan stadium. The atmosphere was great. It was around a great group of people in there. Shout out to the people in my section, sky Pete and his kid, Alistair, uh, Kevin, who I'm supposed to follow on Twitter, the lovely couple who took our photo, who, uh, their kid Owen wants to write for Mason brew. It, it, I'm a menace at games. So I got to give props for these people to being around <laughs> me and, and just dealing with me yelling about the offensive coordinators, the entire game. I had some words for you after the game, but, after watching it again and having like, you know, the, the benefit of reflecting with you on some of these and, and some of the games that we had last year, especially early on in Big Ten Conference, I've definitely calmed down 
significantly. And I think there was a lot of this that is just early season stuff that can be cleaned up. And then some other things that maybe bear keeping an eye on moving forward. Yeah. The thing here to track, is this the 2019 army game or is this the 2021 Rutgers game? And it's like trying to find the balance in between those. Like, is this foreshadowing like the eventual downfall with cracks in the foundation or is this just a blip in the road as this team gets their sea legs? So, uh, no, I love how you talked about your takes, like either calming down or something like that. Really, a lot of them have sobered up. That's my favorite part of this. Because when you said you had words for me, you sounded like a disappointed stepdad watching me play t-ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bad, man. Well, a lot of it was like I was just being told incessantly before the game how like, no, there's nothing to worry about. And I'm just like, well, they do have a really good offensive line and a mobile quarterback. I really feel like they're going to be able to score. So like everyone just being like, no, we're, we're blowing them out. And I was like, I don't know. I think we barely cover. And I did feel a little bit vindicated, not that I wanted to be vindicated, but that was where that energy was coming from. I was like, look, man, I told you, you can't be looking past Maryland. This might be a 7-8 win team. I love how I was the object, though, because, you know, I can take it. And my girlfriend looks at me like, what's going on? I'm like, Jared's getting a lot lot off his chest right now. It's just like, (laughs) I'm the recipient because we're going to talk him through this. But um, no, man, you, you were right. And I think one problem a lot of us do, I'm guilty of it, you're guilty of it. Uh, is like kind of looking at 2021 is like sometimes like the perfect season because of the way it all culminated and ended. But like forgetting about like the struggles of Rutgers and Washington and Nebraska, Wisconsin, I mean, just a lot of games you're going to have that adversity. So like not coming in, being the arrogant asshole fan, like we don't have the Alabama resume. We had one season, like, and that's behind us. So it's like, yeah, there are going to be challenges. We're not just going to blow everybody out. That's preposterous. And no, you're, you're right to feel vindicated in your take. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, apologies for, for unloading on you. I was just, you, when you're in the moment, man, it's a lot different when you're watching it in the stands versus when you're watching it and there's commercial breaks and you can like go text somebody or call them at the commercial break when you're just in there and you can only yell to the people in your stands about what's happening in front of you. There was some pent up aggression, but you're absolutely right, man. And all of your takes are completely accurate in that. Like we don't have that resume. It's not going to be 59 to nothing. And I mean, then you look around the country at what some other contenders did on this day. And I think you really start to breathe and you're like, look, this isn't going to be a cakewalk. We might not go into Ohio state undefeated. Uh, We didn't last year and last year is the best season in recent memory, but you're totally right. You got to remember the bigger picture, the forest for the trees about what it took to get to last year. And it's going to take an even greater effort this year because you got a little bit of a target on your back. Absolutely. And there's going to be more games like this, more stressful moments. And the biggest thing is Michigan won this past weekend. You look at Oklahoma, who had Kansas State come into Norman and give them the what's what and give them the one loss of the season and a conference loss. Like while one conference loss, like you alluded to last year, didn't spell the end of the season. That is just such a a detriment to what you hope to do. There's no room for mistake after that, no room for error. So Michigan got the win this, this weekend. And that's the most important thing to take from this. But that said, we have a panic meter. Yes. Yes, we do. And we're going to get to the panic meter. I kind of want to talk about some of the players of the game, some of the key moments of the game, because this thing really came down to about four plays. There was obviously the initial turnover right away. Uh, props to special teams, who I think overall had a pretty good day. Um, you know, there were some rhythm killing turnovers. Obviously, the CJ Stokes one. That's something that we're going to talk about when we get into panic meter here in a moment. Um, there was obviously the two interceptions, one of which, how did you feel about the DJ Turner one? Should that have been reviewed? Was that an interception? 
Uh, I put that on Mike Loxley. You call a timeout there and you make sure it gets reviewed. Like, why just sit there like with your hands in your pockets? Like, you can you can get the clock stopped. You can give them some time to really think this one over. So I put that on the coaching. I don't think it was an interception, but they caught it that way on the field. No one had the wherewithal to call a timeout. So, you know, live on. Yes, definitely. Uh, and then uh, Maryland came in with a really good game plan. Outside of that from Mike Loxley, I was pretty impressed with both their defensive game plan props, their D coordinator, whose name escapes me right now, as well as their offensive game plan to just kind of have a balance attack take what the defense was giving with you. So I do want to give props to Maryland as well, rather than just go immediately to like panicking about what I did and didn't see from Michigan. Uh, they're an improving team. And, uh, the, you know, there was the the drive late in this game, obviously the two interceptions, which we will talk about. But the drive late in this game where their backup quarterback comes in, I wanted to talk about that a little bit with you. Like, did you take much away from that? Was that like, all right, why can't we stop this backup quarterback when the defense needs to have it? That was something that I definitely walked away from that game a little bit frustrated with. I wouldn't say needs to have it. Having a 15-point lead with 50 seconds, whatever it was to go, uh, would not qualify that to me. But I get where you're coming from. Like, you want to see them stand on their head, like, but really put like an exclamation point on it. I just think the defense was sitting back in prevent. This guy made some good reads. There was a bad play by uh, Khalil Mullings, who you and I will talk about more today on that touchdown with the line, uh, the tight end just kind of got lost in coverage there. So I'm not taking too much away from it. I would have liked to see, you know, the hammer down. But um, at that point, it was desperation time, so I'm not going to read too much into it. Yeah, you could view it as cracking the armor, or you could view it as, look, we don't have to have this. There's still an onside kick and another drive that needs to happen. But I have to imagine that Jesse Minter wanted that one. That could have been a statement for the defense that they didn't end up coming up with. Um, but yeah, all in all, uh, you know, I was I was impressed with the resolve of this team, and I think that's what's important. So let's talk some game balls. You wrote your article, as you do every week, giving out game balls. Go check that out on Amazing Brew. But let's uh, let's mention some people that made this win possible. Uh, if there's anybody outside of that article you want to shout out or people in that article. Uh, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, this is the obvious, the most obvious choice for the second straight week. It's Blake Corum. I mean, 243 rush yards. I believe he's second in the nation with like uh, 10 or 20 yard rushes. I saw the stat from PFF today, which means nothing from PFF sometimes. <laughs> but uh, Corum was just electric. The seventh best game in program history, the fourth best in program history against a Big Ten opponent. He is currently the program leader all time for career yards per rush uh, over six and a half now. And if he continues on the pace he's on this season, he'll set the single season record. But granted, we're only a third away through the year, a lot more to come. But Blake Corb, man, I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, on pace for like 1,500 rush yards and nearly 30 touchdowns. That probably is not sustainable. I mean, you don't want to be running him 30 times, but we don't win this without Corum. We don't win this without the secondary, who is who I'll mention. I'll, I'll just say the secondary because they all played outstanding games. Green and Turner in coverage were great. Uh, Turner, obviously, with that interception. The sideline buffs, uh, courtesy of Will Johnson, is the greatest new thing that's happened to Michigan in maybe 20 years. Um, it's the best thing, like best like uh, aesthetic addition since the DJ to the experience. This is a great idea. Um, RJ Moten, outstanding with the concentration on that, kind of making up for some missed picks that he's had in some big games. But just as a unit, the secondary man, Steve Klinkscale, special shout out there. Like I, I love what I saw from the back end. Man, Gamon Green in one-on-one -on -one coverage was just targeted again and again until eventually they realized he was not giving an inch. He was just fantastic in this one. Uh, everybody, uh, my boy Mikey Sainer still super physical, again, behind the line of scrimmage as well. 
as well as in coverage. So, and why don't two point conversion interceptions count? Like why those points count if they score them. So why doesn't the interception count? I don't get that at all. Like when I was looking at the stats, I was like, there was a third pick. And then I was like, oh yeah, it was on the two point conversion. That makes no sense to me. Like that is still an interception on both the quarterback and for, yeah. I mean, I know you want this for your agenda, but it also makes sense. Yes. (laughs) it's it was just very silly that like that one that one didn't come through but um, another game ball if I had to give one more outside of the secondary uh, I would look to Mozzie Smith on the interior who in the first quarter I was really worried about but by the second tier he by the second quarter he really started to have his like handprints all over this game had the huge third down stop when the team needed it so I was really proud to see him have the struggles early on and then become the dominant guy in the end Yeah, absolutely needed to talk about him. He's supposed to be your best player coming in. He was the guy we were all kind of watching. Like, he should be the best player on the defense in the second half or, you know, maybe the back three quarters of this. He played like that. Junior Colson, I'll mention, who started out a little rough but then showed you why he's the best linebacker on the team. Started to get people into the right places, had a better second half. Defense as a whole had a better second half, even, uh, you know, casting aside that last drive that we mentioned before. Uh, Mike Morris when I was bemoaning the lack of a pass rush really started to, to impose his will later on this game, his hit against uh, turtle tug of Iloa changed the complexion of the game 100%. So props to him. And then the last one is the entire offensive line. We mentioned at the end of last week, I was like, my eyes are going to immediately be on the right side of the offensive line. Uh, by about quarter two, I was like, I can look elsewhere. They've got this. It was an awesome, awesome game from the offensive line. This is exactly what you and I talked about last week and what we wanted to see. We wanted to see this dominant performance from the group. We wanted just like road grading, great and pass pro. Even the sacks and everything were not on them. Like it was just a great day from the offense. Olu Obatimi is the best center in football. Like that's done. Like give him the Remington. Now he is incredible in the middle of this, just clearing people, all of the, uh, the pull pins, everything they're doing on the inside has just been fantastic. I'm not, you know, not that I'm going to get to big X's and O's about duo and zone reads and everything else, but they were great, really just making it easier for Blake Corum. And you have to love a running back that has never given one interview that does not think his offensive line. Man, just a a team first kind of guy. Definitely a Michigan guy. That combination of offensive line and running back is as fun and enjoyable, easy to root for as I can remember. And you're absolutely right about Olu, who is the linchpin of that entire thing. But Trente and Zinter, who we were kind of calling out, really stepped up when we needed to in this game. And, you know, at times the protection was so good. I was like, man, like maybe let that guy go. So JJ realizes he needs to escape the pocket. Like Trente, you've done your job here. It's been like nine seconds. But it was it was really impressive. <laughs> it's it, it was it's a great point. Like sometimes, like you know, JJ's still getting the familiarity with them and like where they're going to be and where they're pushing people in certain protections. So it will come. Uh, I have one question for you as we get into some more of the game here. Uh, the CJ Stokes handoff. A lot of people were very critical of that because it's a freshman. Don't give him the ball. But you and I were uh, in the camp, I believe, where it's like he needs to be getting these touches because if there's injuries, we might need him later on in the year. And just like Donovan Edwards last year, who had some fumbles, like you have to keep his confidence going. So although he had the early fumble, like I hope he gets back into the rotation. Oh, yeah, we are completely lockstep there. What are you going to do? Just not play your other running backs? We need somebody else like Edwards is out. And I mean, this is now year two where Edwards 
Edwards has missed some time. Corum missed some time last year. So we have to have CJ Stokes or Isaiah Gash or somebody that we can rely on. So I have no problem with that call. Like, I mean, you need every play. Like he could have just as easily fumbled at a different point in the game if that was his first carry. So yeah, situationally, like you want to run the ball there and Blake Corum has already had, you know, however many carries he had up to that point. So I'm with you there. I'm not going to worry about that. Although we'll get into the play calling here in a moment. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's go ahead and dive into our panic meter a little bit here. Yes. So we're going to do levels of concern or panic meter, however you want to call it. I changed it to levels of concern because I was just like a little bit irked that I was like, well, I'm not panicking, but I, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> so we'll, we're calling it levels of concern, the three levels, none whatsoever, slightly concerned and on the verge of panic. So we've got some of these things here. We're going to talk about it in regards to the game that we just watched as well as in this upcoming matchup against Iowa. I'm going to throw the first one to you because we were just kind of talking about it. Level of concern in the Blake Corum workload, and that also pertains to the Donovan Edwards injury. Just the amount we're relying on the run game and the status of those two guys. Uh, this is slightly concerned for me. Like I'm not going to go full on none whatsoever or just panic the other way. Uh, Harbaugh had a really funny quip this week talking about Corum is so fit and so prepared. He could play two games every Saturday the rest of the season. Well, th but there's no reason to put that to the test. So I think I'm a little concerned because we've seen uh, even like uh, very stout running backs like Karan Higdon wear down later on in the year. So while I don't doubt Blake Corum's preparation or his physical gifts, I mean, we've heard tell of however, a numerous amount of workouts he's put in behind the scenes. I'd like to see more of a balance so we have the best and freshest Blake Corum at the end of the season. Could not possibly agree more. Slightly concerned is the answer here, just because 30 carries a game ain't going to work. And against Iowa, those 30 carries aren't going for 243, I wouldn't imagine. Like, we've got more stout defenses coming. Uh, defenses that can really put a hurting on you. Corum's not that big, and like you said, about as in shape of a guy as we have, but don't want to put that to the test. So we need Edwards back. We need CJ Stokes to, to get that confidence back as well. So both of those things are super important. All right, sir, hit me. All right. How do you feel about the run defense going forward? I am not, I'm going to say none whatsoever. No concern whatsoever. I think that the run defense is going to be just fine with Mozzie Smith. I really like guys like Jenkins and Morris in run defense and the entire back half of the defense, like the entire secondary tackles. Junior Colson's a menace, no matter what you're lined up in personnel wise. Like I, we have a lot of guys that can tackle uh, Travion Henderson and uh, what is it? Singleton from Penn State could be tricky. But I don't think anyone's breaking like huge 50 yard back breaking runs against us. So I'm not concerned with that right now. How about you? Uh, I'm slightly concerned. I think going against Iowa this week, who has to run the ball at least a little bit, like to have any kind of success or movement offensively will be a good test because they're really going to do everything they can to impose their will and run between the tackles, get a little bit on the edge with their triumvirate of backs. But uh, I'm a little bit just because uh, linebackers were missing some holes. I think getting Nakai Hill Green back will be massive, like having a, a rotation more of Colson, Nakai Hill Green, and Michael Barrett instead of having Mullings forced into duty will like help a lot. Is like also getting Deuce Spurlock and Jimmy Rolder up to speed, like more and more in the season. I think we'll see them pick up more prominent roles. So I'm just slightly concerned right now. 
Yeah, that's fair. I, I totally agree about getting Nakai Hill Green back, and we have a whole category for that, and I, that's going to help a ton. Playing Barrett more will, will help a ton. But also, I think Hemby's in the top three backs we'll see. There's really only Penn State and Ohio State where we're going to have backs like that. So we got time to adjust. Iowa doesn't have anybody that can quite attack you on that level. So I'm a little less concerned with Iowa. I mean, like you said, they have to run it, so they're certainly going to try. But I think we'll hold up well in the run game against Iowa. But that that's fair with what you got there. All right, next one is an interesting talking point. Level of concern, J.J. McCarthy ball security. Uh, this this is very tough. Um I would say I'm slightly concerned just because of the history more than just this game. So I don't want to sound like I'm just overreacting to the fumble early in this one. Uh, just a little concerned. Like I just feel like he can sometimes tries to extend plays a little too far, be a little too hero-y. It seems like when it rains, it's when he really gives them the issues because it had rained early in the Michigan-Michigan State game last year. We had all those disasters. It rained in this one. So maybe just the simple addition of like a glove on your non-throwing hand could alleviate some of this. So I'm just a little concerned with that because we saw it last year and we saw it again on Saturday. I agree with you. This would be the first one where you might go verge of panic because of how Iowa wants to play and the fact that everything they do is built on turnovers and they're really good at capitalizing on them. So two turnovers in this game, if this decides to be the game where he has those issues and they actually, you know, he puts the ball on the ground, that could be, you know, the difference in this game. It's entirely possible. So it's a huge deal against Iowa. It's a big, big deal in every game, but slightly concerned is probably the level because he didn't throw any balls into harm's way he just fumbled too so he wasn't necessarily putting passes in in places where they would be intercepted and this is a very opportunistic secondary at iowa so if he can you know keep it a little bit close to the vest in the passing game and just not put the ball on the deck um you know in the run game when when we do decide to use his legs which we're going to need to and that can really come into this as well is when are you running and when are you getting down are you just taking six yards and getting down so that's going to come into play with the ball security thing. But yeah, if, if we win this turnover battle, I think we win this game. So it's a huge, huge deal coming into this week. But there's no reason to be panicked about it yet because we, this year he hasn't turned the ball over yet. That's a great segue into the next one I want to throw to you, and that is level of concern for McCarthy as a passer. We saw him miss about four deep balls in this one. He really struggled against like that massive zone scheme they were running. So what is McCarthy going to do if he's faced with a drop seven, drop eight coverage from Iowa that features two of the best corners and the best linebacker in football potentially? Well, I think seeing what we saw against Maryland is a great thing now that I've had a week to sober up and think about it. I think this is a great <laughs> thing that we saw this defense when we did. And he saw like, hey, this isn't something that you're probably going to see a lot of against UConn and stuff because everything's going to be working. But when they're trying to play a four quarter game, they might go into drop eight or drop seven and just make you take what's there. I'm not concerned about this. Um, I'll say slightly concerned just because he does need to keep improving. But we've seen him hit deep balls in stride. And these guys had separation in this game. Andrew Anthony had separation for sure on two of those. Uh, looked like Roman Wilson had some separation. So our receivers are getting separation. We've seen him make deep passes before. So he just needs, I think it's a rhythm thing. And that's going to go into play calling, which we're going to talk about here in a second. I think it's just he's got to get into that rhythm early on. And those deep passes will be a little bit easier for him. Pocket presence is a different thing. He's got to feel where that rush is coming from and use those legs, especially when they're in drop eight like that. And they're only rushing four. they're, you know, to quote Brad Pitt in, in a movie we both love Moneyball, is like they're, they're just taking it to you. 
take it, say, thank you. Like take those six yards in a slide. That's going to help them a lot too, because it's going to start to move those cornerbacks and that secondary back up towards the line. It's going to make those safeties start to reconsider. So I'm slightly concerned. What about you? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to not concerned at all, but I'm probably right in the same range you are just because like you said, this is a good thing. He saw this, like you're going to see it. Like now you have experience with it. You know what to do. You can see the game film and you can adjust. And I think this also just goes into like wide receiver route distribution. And we're going to get into the play calling, which I think we're going to have a pretty animated discussion about that. But the route distribution at times, I believe it was a third and seven or third and eight when Michigan was backed up deep in their own zone, there was no eligible receiver within 15 yards. Like there was nobody underneath working. There was just, it was very strange. And I think that'll get cleaned up to make it easier. But that's a great point with that money ball quote. If they're going to play back like that, take, take six yards in a slide. Who cares if you only get two yards? It's a positive play. You're moving. And more importantly, you create the threat that you could take it further next time. That is the segue that we need. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Level of concern to offensive play callers. This is the thing that I was bemoaning and I felt vindicated when I went back and I watched the broadcast because it was exactly when Joel Klatt was talking about it that I was in the stands like this doesn't work that you can't establish a rhythm like that. Now that's premature to say it can't work, but this is the one that I've got my eye on. So I'm going to go to you first and and I want to hear your defense of it. What's your level of concern dual offensive play callers? I am slightly concerned, but I'm at the very highest point of this. I'm not going to be on the verge of panic of anything this early in the season, but I'm just below that because we don't really know how the play calling is being divided up this year. We kind of, we think we know how it was last year, but Sharon Moore was co-OC both years. So I want to make sure we keep that in mind. But you've also seen this come back to bite the teams like in 2018 before Josh Gaddis got there in 19. And the way the game felt, it felt disjointed. So that's why I think we can really lean into it a little bit more because we're not going to find any clear-cut evidence that, hey, he called X, X, and X, and he called the other ones. But the way it felt, there wasn't a flow. Like, they weren't getting McCarthy out, like, moving as much. Like, that's where he's at his best. Like, he can sit in the pocket and do that work, but he's the best when he's moving. Move the circle. Get him on the outside. Give him some options. And it was very strange, man. Like, it's, it's eerie how similar this game is to the Rutgers game from last year for a myriad of reasons. But one of them is the play calling. I remember at one time when like Michigan had nothing but success running the ball, we had Cade with three straight throws and they're like three straight deep threats and it didn't work. So it's like, I don't know if they're trying to figure stuff out. They're trying things. Maybe they were buying too much of their own stuff from the first three games. But I think the most important thing for the play callers is now they have a tape that they can evaluate on themselves. This is a self-evaluation tape so they can spot their tendencies. They can spot their mistakes and they can see it. And now this week at Iowa, we'll see if they've improved upon it and actually fix those mistakes. That was perfectly said. You're exactly right with where the concern level should be because of that first point you made where you shouldn't panic about anything this early in the season. And you brought up the Rutgers game as a comparison, which is a tremendous comparison. And last year we were like, I don't know if Gaddis has, has got it, you know, earlier on. Or we're like, I don't know if Kate has got it. And we were making some, you know, jump to conclusions last year around this time. So that's a very good point that you got to give this time to develop. But your other point about it just seeming disjointed was something that was really echoing, you know, throughout a lot of people watching this. Obviously, Joel Klatt thought the same thing. Being in person, I can tell you that's exactly what it felt like. And it felt too slow to diagnose it because I could see what was happening. And it's like, all right, they're playing way back. Like, that means if you want to get anything across the middle and you want to get JJ into a rhythm, you need to just send a lot of crossers. You know, like this is stuff that you and I could figure out in Madden, but 
you have to wonder if there is like competing ideologies like no the run game is working we need to keep riding with that like yeah but we're gonna need jj in a rhythm how do these things work how do you kind of find cohesiveness with two competing ideologies during the game and i don't know how that's gonna work and i tried to think about this and i thought about it from this perspective like the person i am most like in sync with possible about how michigan you know should look and stuff is you and i so if you and i were calling the plays and we were doing this do you think we could find some type of exact rhythm every single time with the play clock counting down with 110,000 people screaming at us and we have 30 seconds in between play calls to get that together and have discussions about, well, what about JJ's rhythm? Well, what about the fact that Blake Corum is the only thing we've got working? How do you possibly have these discussions in these like quick bang, bang moments is what I got to thinking about. And that's why my concern level is so high is because like you need to be so in sync with what's going on or you need to ultimately be like, you know what, Sharon Moore, you're a little bit more experienced when these things get tight, when it gets down to the fourth quarter and there's four minutes left, we should probably just have you calling the plays because that is going to be really tough to marry those those two like competing ideas and i'm not even saying that they have competing ideas but you're never going to see thing exactly the same as some other person no matter like how much the vision is the same excellent point man and you know you and i if we were on the radio together you'd be like andy they're stacking nine men in the box we have to throw it and i'd be like no blake quorum got that dog in and we're gonna run it down their throat like even you and i who are as in sync as anybody in this business like if we were doing that together we would have these disagreements so no i'm 100 percent with you i think you have to find the marriage of who's calling the plays in the moment like if it's an obvious run sharon moore says hey we're running this and like suggest it to the one guy or vice versa if it's like an obvious passing down maybe matt weiss offers a suggestion but i think it should be one play caller with like some some aspects of it supplemented not this 50 50 thing we're like at least perceiving that we're seeing on the field right now exactly and who's making the overall call of like hey we should be running the ball a little bit more right now is harbaugh still chiming in on that it just feels strange in it you know if you if if sea otters gained sentience and i introduced them to the game of football and i was like all right this is basically how it works uh they would probably be like well it seems a little disjointed on offense like what's going on with that like it was so obvious to even like the most basic of creatures that there was something not clicking with the offense and like jj didn't play that poorly missed a couple deep shots like you have the running game going that well JJ is hitting you know the tight ends in particular he's getting the ball to them like it felt like you should have gotten a stranglehold on this offensively so there's definitely still things to be cleaned up it could end up being just like last year where it's like this is a learning game and I love what you said about a a, a self-tape kind of moment where they can evaluate this and be like how did we not move the ball and put this thing away a lot earlier you know, why were we getting ourselves into these situations where it didn't seem like there was a rhythm? So lots of clean up, but I can tell you that will now be the number one thing that I'm watching against Iowa. How does this play calling get into a rhythm? That is without a doubt my number one for next week. Because a few things to take away from this are the play calling was as disjointed as it was, but you still had a 200-yard passer with two touchdowns. You had a 243-yard rusher with a pair of touchdowns, and you won the game. So it's like, it's very great to have this level of concern, but have like still have this level of production on the field. It makes you feel good that like if they can figure this out, if they can really streamline this process, then there's a very high ceiling for what this offense can do. 
And it's not like we're asking to take over too much from last year because neither of us were high on Josh Gaddis, but in his third year of the program, he at least had a rhythm. Like you and I could see why he was doing certain things. There was a pattern of what he was doing. Although he's, you know, suffering in Miami right now. He was he struggled in Michigan his first year. Like you need to at least have a pattern, a rhythm, at least thought behind it, because last year it was pound, 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 wear them down, take your shots, be conservative. So this year they're still trying to find out that identity, and we're going to learn a lot more about who they are against Iowa. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm totally with you. All right, throw one at me, I believe. Yeah, I believe it's my turn. I mean, maybe that's the, that was the cherry on top, but I will throw you one more, sir. Um, Jake Moody, he's missed a field goal in three straight conference openers now. He missed a, a game sealer that would have like locked it up last year against Rutgers. He missed one really bad in this one. What is your concern level for Jake the make? Zero concern. Zero concern as of this point. He's probably not winning Lou Groza again because that Maryland kicker is some type of Terminator sent here to kick field goals and extra points. But no concern. That's still our guy, Jake the Make. I'm riding with him. Oh, yeah. I, I just had to put that one out there, you know, just to feel it. But again, this time last year, he, he was missing kicks. Like, nothing to worry about. Jake Moody's best days are ahead of him still. I'm with you. I did have one more, though, because it has to be touched on level of concern, linebacker play, and the health of Nikai Hill Green. Because uh, our boy Kalel Mullings, not the best showing against Maryland. It wasn't the best. Um, I am slightly concerned just because of the depth and the inexperienced depth. Like I, I love that room, what it's becoming, but I just don't know if they're already now. Like Rolder, Spurlock, who I touched on, they're, they're coming along, but it's like it's it's a slow process. You can't just throw them into the flames. Like I love the rotation, getting back to Nikai Hill, Green, Colson, and Barrett, and getting Mullings out of that three deep. But um, until then, yeah, man, just just a little concerned. But it helps having Colson, who cleans up a lot of mistakes. Yeah, having a legitimate star there makes a big, big difference. I'm with you. I'm slightly concerned. Kalel Mullings asked to do a lot. I don't know why he was in there over Barrett early on. Um, hopefully that gets remedied because he looked lost. I mean, his arms were flailing a lot of times because he was late getting into position. So a little bit of concern, but Colson covers up a lot of warts and having guys like Saner still prowling around in the middle covers up a lot of warts, but could be something that some teams try to attack, especially Iowa this week who have uh, – quite a bevy of tight ends so something to keep an eye on um there was one more i guess i wanted to touch on one-on-one -on -one pass rush uh jalen harrell kind of shut down a little bit after the uh the face mask penalty but i still like what i saw from him but i did like what i saw from morris I'm not concerned at all for this one. Uh, even last year with Ojabo and Hutchinson, they were pretty much shut down against Maryland. This is just an experienced offensive line. They bring back all five. They virtually brought back their entire offense and added key in injuries returning. So it's like, no, I have no concern right now. I want to see it continue and watch these guys get more in rhythm. Although I am slightly concerned about our boy Braden McGregor. I agree with everything you said. I think we're going to be just fine in the pass rush, but Braden McGregor got washed out a couple times. Like that man got swallowed up by blockers. But then every now and again, you'll see him win. You'll be like, that was a nice move, but really inconsistent with McGregor. Uh, definitely something that popped there and then on rewatch as well. So yeah, one that we've kind of all been hoping for and thought maybe like, oh, wow, look how he did against Hawaii. Well, let's, let's be waiting to see on Braden McGregor there. But more, Mike Morris, huge, huge game for him. So I'm with you there. Um, all right, that's going to do it for the first half. When we come back, we've got a special guest, one of our listeners. We're going to bring him on for a little Harbaugh-era superlative. 
And then we're going to look around the Big Ten and get into this Iowa game, which I'm super excited to. So we'll talk about that when we come back. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue, and welcome back to the show. One of our longtime listeners and devoted Michigan fan, just all-around good dude, Logan Bristol, coming to us from South Carolina. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, boys. How are we doing? It's good to be back. This is great. We are glad to have you here, uh, starting kind of some new segments. You know, you hear a lot about the man in the arena, where these athletes are really just proud of themselves. And like, what about the man in the stands? What about the average fan? What does he have to say about things? So that is what this new segment is intending to do. We're going to bring on some of the listeners, some of your just good, average, God-fearing, meat-eating Michigan fans, and hear what they have to say about what's going on. If you're a vegetarian, that is totally fine. I respect you. It's just a turn of phrase. All right, boys, let's get into today's topic. It is going to be one of our superlatives that we do every year. I throw it at Andy, and every year the answer is kind of the same thing. But I'm thinking this year we might finally have ourselves a good discussion. Superlative question of the day. If you could insert one Jim Harbaugh-era player onto this team to guarantee a national championship or guarantee a Big Ten championship, who are you putting onto this team and defend your answer? All right, so we have a list prepared for you. Uh, we wanted this thing to be at least somewhat on the rails. So here are your choices. Ben Bredesen, Mason Cole, John Runyon Jr., Dad Rudock, Hassan Haskins, Devin Bush, Rashawn Gary, Jordan Lewis. Those are your choices. All right. If you need me to say them again, I absolutely can. But your first task, sir, who is your first one you're eliminating from that list? Who is the one that's like, all right, that's not the guy? Oh, man, that is tough. Um, I'm going to go and say Ben Bredesen probably is the first one I want to take off just because I feel like our our line's pretty well this year. So, I mean, I feel like that one we can kind of, you know, litigate or negate from the conversation. I like it. Andy, do you agree with that as a removal? I'm fine with it. I have no objections. No, no objections. I was really hoping Logan would just come in hot. And just be like, uh, Devin Bushman, I got all my stock in Khalil <laughs> Mullings this year. So, uh, no, I respect the Ben Bredesen first removal. I like it as well. Does that mean, based on that reasoning, we can go ahead and remove all the offensive linemen? Because I do agree with you. I think that this offensive line, I know it was one game against Maryland, but we came in thinking this was a good offensive line. I mean, it's the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, and we thought we got better. So can we just go ahead and take all offensive linemen off of this list? I would definitely say that is uh, probably a, a a good design. Just you know, just get him out of there. All right, I uh, agree with that because um, I, coming into this game, you and I had gone back and forth a little bit, like uh, off the air about this. But after the Maryland performance, I think that's a safe way to move about it. I like it. So remaining on this list, Dad Rudock, Hassan Haskins, Devin Bush, Rashawn Gary, Jordan Lewis. Um, we took Aiden Hutchinson off this list because he's kind of a cheat code. It's a little bit more interesting. So, all right, who's your next removal, Logan? Uh, I ordered a J.J. McCarthy jersey back in 2020 uh, when he had just started to come on the rise of, oh, this guy's probably going to be something, so let's get Rudock out of there. Uh, I'm putting all in on J.J. McCarthy. This is a great point. This is absolutely the next one. As much as you and I stand for Dad Rudock here, Jared, um, no, 
I have no objections to this. I think it was a two-horse race here with another guy listed. But um, as much as it pains me, like uh, we have to remove the doctor. Uh, it, it pains me as well, but this is the first time I think we've chosen him every other year in this exercise, Andy, and that's why I wanted to bring Logan on to litigate this. But let's at least take a moment to litigate it. Are we sure we don't want the sure thing of Dad Rudock versus the grab bag, like the mystery box that is J.J. McCarthy? I'm not saying I disagree, but I think it needs to be litigated. Logan, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's so it's so tough because we've only seen JJ in a handful of games from start to finish. But I think when you look at JJ and Jake Rudock, Dad Rudock, as as we're going to, um, I feel as though um, JJ's just got more upside with the ability to scramble and get out of the pocket. I mean, we saw him take a sack a couple times this season, but he also does a lot of um, he you know he expands the play. So you see a lot of the times. I mean, especially in his very first play that uh, I think it was against uh, Western where he, you know, pulled out of the pocket, broke a few tackles through across his body, 69 yard touchdown. I just don't think any other quarterback in Michigan would, um, would have, has had, uh, you know, in the Harbaugh era has been able to do that. The thing here is too, is McCarthy's still growing before our eyes. This is the first time we've ever seen him play four straight quarters, a complete game at Michigan. And we're really basing this off our, full year sample of dad Rudock. Like if we took his first four games next to McCarthy's, like the three interception performance in the season opener against Utah in 2015 would really stand out to swing the argument here. So I think just on a pure tan like talent standpoint and growth mindset from where McCarthy is as a sophomore to where dad Rudock was as like a 15th year senior. I love what JJ's bringing to the table. And I think you have to ride with that and the upside this season. No notes. I completely agree with both of you, what you're talking about upside. If you just want to win the Big Ten Championship and you're like, hey, back-to-back -back Big Ten Championships would be awesome, then I think you could probably ride with Dad Rudock and feel safe with that. But if you're like, we have greater goals, let's develop this quarterback, let's see what he can be, you definitely ride with JJ. All right, so we're taking Dad Rudock off. That makes things a three-person race, or excuse me, a four-person race. Hassan Haskins, Devin Bush, Rashawn Gary, Jordan Lewis, who we taking off the list, Logan? Uh, I want to say Rashawn Gary, but I think um, my heart wants to go to Has. I mean, I'm torn between Haskins and Rashawn Gary just because I feel like our D line. I really, you know, what I'm I'm throwing it down. We're, we're, you know, Rashawn Gary gone, taking him off because I feel like our D line. I really like the no star mentality, and makes every it makes every guy want to be that guy. It puts everybody on, a, on an even playing field. It puts that dog in them. And it makes him want to get back there and, uh, you know, contribute to the sack total. God, Logan, I, I love where you're going with this, man, because I had a guy highlighted in our document that I thought you were just going to eliminate straight off. So we're we're still working our way there. This is an interesting one because I think you went to a strength as well in the defense. A little, a little unproven still. Like we have some things to pick up and improve upon after the Maryland game. But I like your your point on the no star defense here. Like that's the mentality, and this is what they're building behind. It's an identity, something to really build upon game to game. And we're looking at Rashawn Gary at Michigan, not. Rashawn Gary in Green Bay right now because he's really evolved as a player and at Michigan he was a really good run stuffer so I think that would be the only pushback you'd have in this group because I don't know and on the edge if we have a true run stuffer outside of Mike Morris 
I'll play a little devil's advocate. I agree with everything that you said, the no star defense. I've seen enough from Mike Morris to think that that guy is a game wrecker. Um, I think we can probably start eating crow on that Andy where we're like, he's too big to move. Like now he moves just fine. (laughs) I think a little bit of pushback is warranted here because Rashawn Gary was misused at Michigan. So you're bringing him in to this new defense with Jesse Minter. I think he would be properly used. And then all of a sudden you have a lead pass rusher that and Mike Morris and then Jalen Harrell kind of doing what Josh Uche did and Ojabo did a little bit more where he's more situational instead of being asked to be out there nearly every down that could pay dividends to this defense. I'm not pushing back on the removal given some of these other guys there, but I don't know. I'll throw that to whoever wants to take it. Like just imagine that rotation. If you will, you take Braden McGregor out of that rotation. You insert Rashawn Gary. That is mean. Just, just ruminate on it for a second. Logan, since you're the guest, I'll let you kind of defend my defense. I mean, I feel, I mean, I totally get what you're saying and I do like that. And it does make, you know, my mouth water thinking of that rotation. But I mean, at the same time, I think Hutchin, like using the same, you know, Rashawn Gary, whatever, um, Aiden Hutchinson had Ojabo on the opposite side of the line. So every down, if you double teamed Hutchinson, it left Ojabo open. And then if you double teamed Ojabo, it left Hutchinson open. There was no, there was no um, flow, or I guess there was no, hold on, let's re, re-get thoughts here. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it, Logan. Whew. Okay, so when you're looking at um, Rashawn Gary, he was able to, you know, stuff the run, which is what we're seeing as a uh, as a negative with this defense. But um, when you look at Hutchinson and Ojabo, for example, there had to be both those guys had to be elevated to have both of them perform, if that makes sense. Because if you had Hutchinson on one side being double teamed, Ojabo was going to get through. And then if you had Ojabo being double teamed, Hutchinson was going to get through. So when you just have one star, like going back to that no-star defense, if that one star is Rashawn Gary, he's just going to get double-teamed every time out there. And I don't know what kind of uh, production we would get if he didn't have that stellar defensive line that he was with uh, back when he was playing at Michigan. Uh, I'll push back against that. I mean, I'm fine with the removal. We'll we'll move forward with it. But, I mean, the fact that, like, having no stars means you don't double-team someone. Well, you double-team Mozzie Smith. So you have Rashawn Gary. Now you have to pick between Mike Morris and Rashawn Gary and it's you're singling somebody up, I think that that would create all types of problems, adding a true star on there. But I agree with you that there's some better candidates here. So let's push this forward. We're down to our final three. I kind of thought one of these guys would be off the list by now, but it's Hassan Haskins, Devin Bush, Jordan Lewis. Who are you taking off the list, Logan? I think I'm going to take Jordan Lewis off just because I feel like um... – our cornerbacks have proved that they are um, at an elevated level to where, you know, our past defense, as we saw last week, it was the first time that this defense has been tested through the air and they did a phenomenal job. I mean, I don't think if I can, if I'm recalling correctly, they didn't let up one single big play. So they did a phenomenal job. So I'm going to go ahead and say, we can take Jordan Lewis off the board. My man, he's finally there. This is the one I've been waiting on. I mean, uh, JD was one of my first options in this exercise because of the depth and talent of the secondary we saw last week from, we had a proven number one in DJ Turner. Gamon Green is not a Robin to his Batman by any means. He is just a very, just like 1B type of corner, like a Donovan Edwards to a Blake Corum, if you will. 
the safeties are experienced, cerebral, and physical, and really good at run support and in coverage. And the addition of my boy, the All-American, Mikey Sainer. So I'm not saying All-American as a player. I'm saying All-American as a human being because he's just that much better than the rest of us. And, yeah, this, no, this whole unit is outstanding, and I don't think Jordan Lewis would add enough to it to really bring it up that much more. I mean, he's the best corner of the group by far. Uh, maybe by far, but he's the best corner, like, regardless. And he would bring it up from, you know, a very high level to a slightly higher level. And I think there are other areas of improvement we could use with a different player. I've been itching to talk about this. This is like my favorite thing to discuss. Would Jordan Lewis make this team better? I'm going to start my own podcast feed and it's just going to be hours of me podcasting. Like, well, look at Jordan Lewis here in uh, 2016 against Northwestern. <laughs> like, you're really going to want to look at this, but you're right to remove Jordan Lewis here. And Andy, I like your last point that you made or one of your last points. He doesn't bring it up enough. Jordan Lewis is the best of this group. I, I would feel very confident. He's my favorite player in the secondary that's played so far. He had the best ball skills. He would absolutely shut down one side of the field. But like I think both of you kind of alluded to, look at what happened when they tried to target Jamon Green. Early on, they're like, all right, DJ Turner, that might be a lost cause. Let's go at Jamon Green. He played outstanding. So I love this secondary. It's just not if you're only bringing one back and this exercise is the time machine exercise, one trip for one player. It's not Jordan Lewis. And that's crazy to say because I absolutely love Jordan Lewis. But that means we're in a great shape with our secondary. We're down to two players, Hassan Haskins and Devin Bush. These are the two that I thought we would end up being down to. Logan, you got to pick one for the conversation. We're kind of just litigating two players here, though. So let's 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 talk it out. The floor is yours. Okay, so this is, you know, the two that I had in mind the moment I heard the list. I think that's where all of our minds go is is these two players. And I mean, when you look at Devin Bush, I mean, he was I mean, he's he's an electric athlete. I mean, he's he is an athlete. He's got that dog in him. I mean, he's he's got the fight. He's got the will to win. Uh, He's fast. He's strong. He's got great football IQ. Um, he's a menace all over the field. I mean, it completely mitigates the middle of the field. I mean, he's just that guy. And you look at Hassan Haskins, who, I mean, we saw it last season. I mean, he was, in my opinion, one of the greatest running backs in that season, you know, taking out Kenneth Walker and um, Ohio State's running back. Um, But, I mean, he was phenomenal for us. I mean, he, he had that extra motor in him in his legs to just push and push and push and go and go. Didn't have a quit in him. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, I really like Blake Corman. I like his speed and his, uh, you know, with the weight that he's put on, um, this year, we've seen him run through lines and, you know, there was that question mark of is Corm the guy to, you know, run through the holes, you know, he's not afraid to go through the line. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, we get Hassan Haskins off the list and, and we'll take Devin Bush back. Two weeks ago, this feels like a no-brainer type of exercise. Like, it would have been Devin Bush because you identify the linebackers as the weakest position group, the ones that really just needs that push. But with the absence of Donovan Edwards, this gets a lot more interesting. And everything you said, Logan, was a a great point building up to this. And I I love Hassan Haskins. He is my favorite Michigan running back since Mike Hart. And I got to experience it a little bit more and watch this come up. So I enjoyed it more than Mike Hart, especially now that I'm a little bit older. And But if Edwards can come back like he is expected to, I really think this swings this to your point that it has to be Devin Bush because if you have Devin Bush, 
Junior Colson, and then like a backup group of Nikai Hill Green and Michael Barrett. That does so much to the middle of this defense. Just having two heat-seeking missiles that can play man coverage, blitz, fill run gaps responsibly and consistently, I think that would really put this defense over the top and make up for any shortcomings perceived on the defensive line in terms of stopping the run. Boys, I was hoping for some more controversy because this is exactly where my mind went with this as well. And maybe it's as simple as, like you said, Andy, identifying deficiencies on the roster. Maybe it's because we're coming off of a really poor Colel Mullings game. We're like, man, imagine swapping that guy with Devin Bush. That wouldn't suck. But this still feels like the answer. It feels like it would have been. It feels like it would have been the answer at the beginning of the season. It feels like it's the answer now. Uh, Hassan Haskins would be incredible. I, I mean, there is nobody. You just can't take it for granted. He was like Devion Smith had that same like. Well, he's not going to get injured. He's definitely going to keep his legs churning. But he was so much better of an athlete. Like he was an actual weapon at the running back position. You just don't see those guys come that often that are like one of the best players, one of the best leaders, best work ethic, strongest player, best like stamina. Like those guys don't come around often, but I agree with what you both said about trusting Corum, trusting Edwards when he gets there. So Devin Bush is the guy. If we open it up to any player, the Harbaugh era, is it Hutchinson or are we still going with Devin Bush? Logan. See, that is tough. That is really hard because, I mean, Devin Bush is that guy. But, I mean, if we're looking at a defensive animal, I mean, do we throw Peppers in there? I mean, he was a Heisman contender. I think I think there's definitely uh, some points behind uh, – I mean, some votes behind Peppers to put him out there. I it's, a, it's a fun argument there because of that versatility he would bring. I mean – it's I don't know. It's almost like a Mikey Sainer still like like if he's like been shot by electricity and was like riding a motorcycle out of a plane. That's kind of how Jabril Peppers played. But I, I would go with Hutch here because I think from like a leadership perspective, what he brings to this team. And I mean, I thought he was the best pass rusher at Michigan since uh Lamar Woodley Brandon Graham era so one of those guys so I just think it was him what he meant to the program on and off the field I would lean Hutch and mean I think that's why you and I Jared disqualified him yeah and the Peppers one I thought long and hard about putting him on there but I'm like man our safety depth like we've got a lot of electric athletes we can kind of put out there and do some stuff with and culture as well like Jabril Peppers that five-star culture like you heard some rumblings after that era was over about how some of those guys fit on the team so I think you take Hutch just as like culture fit as a proven winner that would probably be the one but that's just kind of a boring answer to be like yeah let's bring back that guy that brought us everything we had ever dreamed of as fans that 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 sounds like a pretty (laughs) good decision so that's why we did it uh logan this was fun man thanks for coming on before we let you go tell us your brief elevator pitch how did you become a michigan fan and uh give me a prediction for iowa so I became a Michigan fan. I've, I was born in Michigan, and then I lived in South Carolina my whole life, or for 14 years of my life, uh, being on this earth for 23. So majority of my life, I've been down here. But um, being the uh, outlier of sports fans, everybody coming in in their Gamecocks or their Clemsons, uh, you know, in their jerseys, and I would come in in my Michigan jersey, it was, I always like to stand out. And I moved back up to Michigan, and that's when my um, – fandom really elevated when I moved up north uh being around people who were uh, you know fans of it and I could talk about Michigan at work at school 
you know, at the grocery store even and people knowing who I was talking about. And I'm not just talking to some random lady in the deep south about how great, Jabril, you know, Jabril Peppers was or how amazing Aimee Hutchinson is. And she's looking at me like, what are you talking about? I can actually talk to people who who know what I'm talking about. So that was uh, that was kind of the, the biggest push of me becoming the big Michigan fan I am now. Um, for Iowa, I would go ahead and say Michigan wins this pretty single handedly, thirty five to seven. Uh, I would say, I mean, Iowa's defense hasn't played a top seventy offense yet. Uh, Iowa State ranks seventy six, Rutgers ranks ninety eight, Nevada ranks one twenty three. Sure, they've only allowed 3.4 yards per play. I'm not saying Michigan has nothing to worry about, but it's just hard to be afraid of a team that hasn't played a team uh, with a better offense than a high school JV team. (laughs) Sir, if you're going to have bold takes, the only thing we always ask is if you come with stats to back it up, and you did. So hats off to you. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I definitely did research. (laughs) I love it, man. A man that comes prepared. Preparedness is next to godliness. I'm sending you a virtual handshake. Are you going to make it up to any of the games this year? The uh, Michigan State game, we're, we're dangling that one out there. That's the one. So I'm I'm going to be up there for a two-week period uh, coming up here, uh, middle to end of November. So I might be able to sneak up there for maybe, you know, one of the last couple of games of the season. Um, so unfortunately, I won't be able to make the Michigan State game, but I might be able to hit one of the, you know, the last two or three. Which Illinois game? game, the Brett Bielema ribs Hello. bowl. Hello. Hey, I, I love me some ribs, <laughs> but barbecue it up, baby. You're, you're always welcome here, sir. With a take like that, Logan, thank you for stopping by. Thanks for listening and go blue, sir. Okay. Coming back. Thanks to Logan Bristol for coming in on the superlative section of this. Uh, let's, let's hop around the big 10 before we get to the Iowa preview on this one. Uh, getting into big play, a Big Ten play in this week, and things are starting to shape up, starting to figure out who these opponents are. I'm going to talk a little bit about Minnesota at Michigan State last Saturday. Mel Tucker in there, sweating like Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now, even though it's 60 degrees out, covered in sweat like it's a Michael Bay movie, looking like he's one of the jurors in 12 Angry Men. And I would, too, if I had stole $95 million from a university to just get absolutely mollywopped by a really good Minnesota team. Minnesota went right down the field on back-to-back drives, both over five minutes. Life was gone out of this stadium early on in this one. How bad did things get? At one point, the crowd was sarcastically cheering for the offense after a first down. This was the second quarter. They were booing the play calling shortly after. It was 31 to nothing, and then they finally score with about 17 seconds left. Uh, it, It was really ugly for Michigan State in this one. I don't buy anything that's going on with them. Mel Tucker might be the biggest fraud that we've ever seen. I mean, granted, I'm a Colorado guy, so I have some animosity built up. But you've got a snake in the grass that, you know, sweats like it's 170 degrees like he's on the surface of venus when it's 60 degrees out i think that he's sweating about something else and i think that he's sweating about his job that he's doing in east lansing he's not going anywhere this is still going to be a rock fight but my god do things look bad in east lansing it's crazy how things are lining up with the old brady hoke thing at michigan with his timeline where you know you come in there 11 and 2 not really your guys getting your footing, like overachieve, beat one rival, get smoked by another. And it's kind of mirroring that with Mel Tucker here in East Lansing. And this performance was very damning, especially coming after the Washington game. And now they have Maryland and Ohio State looming in back-to-back weeks. So things could, I mean, they've already gone south. I mean, 
they could go Antarctica South sooner than later. But um, no, hats off to you for that recap, by the way, sir. It was very well done. And as much as I took away from the actual X's and O's, every time it showed Mel Tucker, I was like, why is he sweating so much? He's not even, nobody else is sweating like this. So I think it's right. He's um, considering and thinking about very deeply getting away with the bag. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening there. Uh, which Big Ten game did you tune in on? Did you happen to see any of Ohio State, Wisconsin? Yes, I watched the first half of Ohio State, Wisconsin, and not too much to report. Graham Mertz is still Graham Mertz, likes to give the uh, likes to give the other team a fair chance in every game they play in. So hats off to him for helping out Ohio State. The play calling and route distribution continues to be just a masterpiece done by Ryan Day and his staff up there, always getting their guys in good spaces, even running just some FU type of plays, like that throwback to the tight end was, if it is covered well, I mean, C.J. Stroud is just going to get pummeled, but I guess they just banked on the tendencies and just kind of put their balls on the table, like, this is what we're going to do, and you have no chance in this game. So it's very typical, like, Ohio State opening conference schedule stuff. Do you think this is the best Ohio State offense of recent memory? No, it's not better than last year. Like, they had some problems, but, like, they no Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the way they could run the ball, Travion Henderson. They're still trying to figure out their consistent running game, which make, make is a bright spot for me as a Michigan fan. So no, I'm not going to say this is their best offense. I'll agree with you, but it is certainly a dangerous offense. They're playing a little bit better defense. Wisconsin is not the team that they have been of late. They just don't have, I mean, it doesn't seem like the defense is quite where Jim Leonard would like it to be as well. So yeah, I'm not going to panic too much. This is typical early Ohio state stuff. They still got a couple tests on their roster, but for Wisconsin, um, disappointing season thus far. The other game that I watched had to with the opponent coming up this week was Rutgers, Iowa, which really was like it felt just like an Iowa game when you're watching it. And Rutgers felt like they were on even footing. This one came down to turnovers, timely, costly turnovers that Iowa knows how to capitalize. Defense again scores more points than their offense, but Rutgers could have very easily been in this game just by removing the turnovers. Even if they're trading turnovers just for field goals, because several of them were down in the red zone, they would have been in this game. And I didn't really learn anything new from Iowa because their offense is, again, exactly what you expect their offense to be. And we're going to get into that here in a moment. But I do think Rutgers is improved. I just in, with teams like this, like what do you take away when it's just an absolute like, you know, filling socks full of rocks and hitting each other across the head for 60 minutes? But that being said, I do like what I've seen from Rutgers. And I think, yeah, I was exactly who we think they are. Yeah, this. if you look at the box score without looking at the turnovers, it's like, how did Rutgers win this game? Iowa was one for nine on third down. They were outgained by uh, over 150 yards through the air. Like, they shut down the run, but, like, they were very susceptible through the pass and chunk yardage, but Iowa was just very timely with their three turnovers. They picked uh, Simon off twice in this one. And just do Iowa things where it's like it's all about field position and not beating yourself. And this was the exact blueprint for it. 27-10 was the final in that one. Could have been a lot closer. Iowa goes to 3-1. Let's go ahead and transition to that. At Iowa this weekend, at Kinnick, it's not going to be at night, which we bemoaned all offseason. We're like, for the love of everything that is holy, don't make us have to go there at <laughs> night. That is not the case. It's going to be kicking off at noon. Michigan opens as 10 and a half point favorites. 
in this one, which seems a little bit high given what we saw last week. But, you know, with Iowa's offensive woes, I kind of understand it. So let's get into this thing, man. You've got some great notes on Iowa. What have your overall impressions of Iowa been? And then we'll kind of get into how we see this one playing out. If you watched an Iowa football game 10 years ago, then you already know what to expect from this one. This is a very defense-oriented team. They're the most experienced team in the Big Ten. They bring back 17 starters, total nine on offense, which is funny how they've somehow gotten worse. But um, defensively, this is where it's going to be told. They've outscored their opponents in two of their four games. As you mentioned, they've not given up more than 10 points in a single game. And that's even more impressive when you consider the fact that the Iowa offense is number 104 in time of possession. So the offense is doing nothing to support them, keeping them on the field, and they are still producing at a high level. Granted, they haven't played the hardest schedule. They still have played Iowa State and Rutgers in these in these games. So that is something to like be said. Uh, They have the best middle linebacker in the country, in my opinion, and Jack Campbell. He's just everything you want from an Iowa backer. He is just a team-first kind of player, very smart, very cerebral, very physical. But they're also going to be without Justin Jacobs, who is a versatile outside linebacker who could also move inside. So that's going to hurt them as well. They're already a team that's very thin everywhere. Uh, Coach Kirk Ferentz this week in his press conference alluded to their lack of depth all over the field. And the Iowa secondary is what it was last year. Although they had to replace three starters in the back end, Riley Moss is back, and now his counterpart, Cooper DeJean, is leading the Big Ten and tied second nationally with three picks. And again, Riley Moss is still on the other side. So it's almost like a no-fly zone type of defense again. And if they're going to win the game, it's going to start in the back end. I love that that's right where you went. That's where my eyes will be going in this one uh, when they have the ball. Um, Moss and Dijon versus Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, Henning, Ronnie Bell. Must see TV. I like those guys, but if they have to cover Roman Wilson for like four or five seconds down the field, I don't think they can do it. They don't really go up against a lot of receivers like us. Like they have to play. I mean, Minnesota has a couple good ones. They don't have Ohio State on their schedule this year, I don't think. So they don't really see wide receivers like this. So I'm fascinated by that matchup 100%. You got Blake Corum versus Jack Kemble, which you alluded to. That's must-see TV. I mean, our offense against their defense is all eyes should be on that next week. I know there's a couple other really good games, but the metrics S and P think that our offense is slightly better than our defense. You could argue that, but I think that our offense is still the best unit uh, of the two. You could argue special teams too, but of the two major units, I think our offense is still our stronger unit. There's no question. Iowa's defense is their stronger unit. I mean, you pointed out some of the ineptitudes inefficiencies on their offense. So it's all going to come down to that. It's all going to come down to these matchups And is Michigan able to move the ball? Are we able to get some chunk plays? Are we able to fight back against their field position game that they love to play their punt to win strategy, which is without a doubt, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I swear to God, if we lose to a team whose strategy is punt to win, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm jumping off a bridge, but that's besides the point. You've got to not let that work for them. So you've got to be able to flip the field. So that's going to mean completing some passes on these outstanding cornerbacks. 
It is. And this Iowa team, if you remember the Big Ten Championship last year, Harbaugh discussed that this week really stoned the Wolverines on like 30 plays in this one to like limited gain under four yards. But it was the big plays that really opened it up and forced Iowa to play from behind. So I think that's what you have to do to keep them honest. Hit those big plays. And the Iowa defense has not seen an offense like Michigan's as you were talking about. The best offense they've faced is Iowa State, who's 79th in scoring offense. Michigan is currently number two. So this is going to be a big jump up at competition for them. And you could potentially see the growing pains Michigan faced last week come to hit Iowa this week with such a jump in opponent. I'm with you. Uh, I liked what I saw out of their young running back, Caleb Johnson. It's going to be a two-headed attack with Sean Williams and Caleb Johnson. I think Caleb Johnson is by far the better back. He's averaging six yards carry opposed to Williams three and a half. Um, and he's doing it on, you know, less than half the carries. So Caleb Johnson's probably the guy that they're going to be rolling with that we need to stop. Got to find a way to keep him contained. Spencer, Spencer Petrus isn't going to get too vertical with you. Like as far as what to watch on their offense, it's those tight ends. It's Laporta and those guys, you know, are they getting open eight yards down the field? They're going to try and dink and dunk and control the possession. I like what you said earlier that like, if you just went back and watched an Iowa game from like, 1997 you could pretty much just scout the exact same thing so it almost feels like redundant to be like hey here's what to watch for with iowa they're gonna run the ball and get it to their tight ends like it's redundant but that's exactly what's gonna happen and the thing this year is they're so much worse off running the ball because they lost uh, their center from last year who's now in the nfl as well as tyler goodson their star tailback i mean this offense is terrible they're number 120 in scoring 122 in third down conversions it's just not good averaging 7.3 punts per game it's, it's so and spencer peters has somehow gotten worse last year he was 10 touchdowns to nine picks completing at a 57 percent clip this year through four games has one touchdown two picks and is barely completing half his passes at 51 percent like i mean i feel like if you're just diagnosing this from 30,000 feet above it's play tight man to man and really overload to sell out and like live in the backfield yeah, Spencer Petrus is going to be an outstanding account manager at a Pep Boys one day, but he will <laughs> not be an NFL quarterback. Uh, Got to get after him and pressure him early on. Their offensive line has taken a little bit of a step back, too. That's probably part of the rushing thing. Also losing Tyler Goodson, why their rushing attack isn't quite as potent as it was in years past. So that also translates to getting pressure. Um, Purdue was able to get some pressure on him as well. So I think that we will be able to do so. I don't know if they're a better offensive line than Maryland. You would think so, but that Maryland offensive line was no joke. So it'll be interesting to see how the pass rush responds after a week where they didn't play poorly, but also you were, you kind of were, were left wanting a little bit more. So I'll definitely be watching that Mozzie Smith um, with no Tyler Lindebon in the middle. My eyes are definitely going to be snapping to that battle. If he can get pressure early on, especially on those running downs, clog things up, it could be a long day for them if they can't get the running game going. No, I mean, that's they, they are dependent on that, like really for anything offense, any kind of momentum, because this defense, while it has been productive, like despite being on the field so much, they will wear down like they, they're not superhuman, like they will like experience fatigue and everything in this game. But I think a few of the most important things for Michigan in this one are to play with the lead, protect the football and you force Spencer Petras to beat you. 100% correct. And if you're forcing Spencer Petrus to beat you and it does play out like that, boy, do I like my chances. Um, all right. Any final thoughts? And then let's get into uh, key players of the game and our predictions. 
No, let's go ahead and get right into these key players. Uh, I will lead it off. I think this is going to be a big offensive line game. If Michigan's able to establish the run, which they struggled to do outside of the few big plays, the quorum run last year in the Big Ten Championship, for example, uh, Iowa did a really good job of selling out. Jack Campbell reads like running lanes as well as anybody in the country and flies to the football. So if Michigan can win the line of scrimmage offensively, this could turn into a long day because that allows them to be multiple and not take any chances against this talented secondary. So I'm really going to be looking at the offensive line, how they're going to be able to move and establish everybody. And defensively, I'm going to be looking at Junior Colson. I think this is a big game for him to like be able to diagnose running lanes to like play well against Sam Laporte. And if he's ever like drew like drawn up to be one-on-one with him. So I think this could be a huge Colson game and he could be one of the X factors on the defense in both stopping the pass and the run. Great point about Colson. If you want to break onto the national scene, this is a game where you can absolutely do that. I mean, you could be the leading tackler in this one with how many plays are coming your way. Colson's a great one. Mozzie Smith on defense, as I kind of alluded to already. I'll take the cop-out answer on offense, and I'll go with J.J. McCarthy. This is the most important J.J. McCarthy game until the next one. Young quarterback still getting his footing. If he plays exactly like he did last week, it might be good enough to win, but you can't have those two fumbles. I know we recovered those, but you can't put the ball in the deck, so ball security. If he can just have a pretty okay game and throw for 220 yards and play clean, not turn the ball over, I think we'll win this game. So he has got to hold on to the ball. Obviously, the offensive line, that was a great point. I really like what you said there. And can a receiver get separation? Can they get a se- get separation early on in man-on-man coverage against these outstanding cornerbacks? So, I mean, at the beginning of the season, I had A.J. Henning predicted as my player for this one, but I think it's going to be Roman Wilson. Just keep an eye on him. Like, they've got to find a way to get the ball to these playmakers. Really was noticeable in that Maryland game that they could not. You've got A.J. Henning just sitting there unused. So let's get him back into the game plan as well. Um, All right, so the spread got uh, 10.5 currently. Our prediction in the offseason was minus 1. Michigan do you favored by minus 1. Since then, Iowa's had one of the worst offenses that we've ever seen in Power 5 play. Uh, ten and a half feels a little high, but let's get your your predictions here, sir. It feels a little high, but when you break down the game and try to imagine how it's going to play out, it's really difficult to see Iowa scoring points unless there's some turnovers. I think there could be and give Iowa some short fields or probably throw in some trickeration ways to really go against this um, Michigan aggressive defense. So I think I'm going to take Michigan in this one, slightly cover, barely cover 24-13 in a hard-fought game. I see it similar. I think Jake the Make's going to have to be on point in this one. He's going to need to live up to that new nickname. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of drives that maybe stall out down there when you're trying to throw the ball into tight coverage and stuff. And I'm just hoping he doesn't force anything and take what the defense gives you. And a lot of field goals might be enough to beat this team. You're going to need to get into the end zone once or twice. I think it is going to be low scoring. The under feels like the safe bet here especially after I got wiped out last week by Michigan not covering. I will not be betting this week. I do like the cover. Um, ten and a, I don't know. Ten and a half feels strong. I'm staying away from it. So I'm going to go with this one even a little closer. This wouldn't cover the current spread. I think it'll come down. I'll go Michigan 20, Iowa 13. Uh, yeah, just like you said, this is going to be two greased up fat guys in a phone booth beating each other with rubber mallets. This is going to be... This could be ugly. This this could be very ugly. (laughs) This is a game where you don't 
like leading up to it, you don't learn anything from seven on seven. Like this is going to be all World War One style trench warfare, just physical on physical, man on man. So I'm really interested to see how it plays out, how the Michigan play calling bounces back. And also could be a big Brad Robbins game. This offense stalls out. Field position is everything in this battle. You want to make their offense always go at least 70 yards in this one because if they have to go that on average, I don't think they're going to score many points. That's a great point. I mean, and we made a point to to harp on special teams last week, and it did play a role. So I think it's going to play a role again in this one. If you can get a touchdown, I know that's asking a lot. That doesn't happen very often. But if you can get one in special teams, that could completely flip this game because it's going to come down to a few touchdowns in this thing. So if you get one on special teams or force a turnover and get like a defensive pick six, man, if there ever was a time for a DJ Turner pick six, it would be this game. So that's a great point about Brad Robbins, though. Like the punters are going to they're going to get busy on this day. It's going to be and I hope it's not the battle of the punter. I really just don't want that from a sake of having eyes. I don't want it to turn into the Sunday night football game last week. That was the Broncos 49ers disaster. The uh, I believe it was like what a 12 to 10 affair. Like no one wants to watch that, but it's going to be Iowa football. And I will say I'm very, very glad this game is not at night. Otherwise I'd be a little nervous right now. I'm still a little nervous. And as it gets closer, I know the nerves are going to come back, but it's great. I love that feeling of like waking up on a Saturday morning and being like, will our dreams be dashed on this day? It's a great feeling. Wouldn't trade it for anything, man. Uh, football is officially back. Um, some updates from us, a little housekeeping, a little more than housekeeping. We got some guests coming the week of the Michigan, Michigan state game. Sklar brothers will be returning to the podcast. Really excited for that. They just did their comedy show in Ann Arbor last weekend. Friends of the pod, really looking forward to having them back on. Um, also some changes that are, I don't know when they're going to happen, so I don't know that we're going to we're gonna broadcast them, but there is definitely some changes coming over out of the blue, but all good things and, uh, you know, stuff that's just going to improve the content and improve the quality of the content. So anything from you, sir, and we'll sign off for this one. No, get at us on Twitter, on our emails. I mean, feel free. We always love having conversation. Come to the Michigan State game. Let's have a beer. Let's play some cornhole, and let's really chop it up, man. It's going to be a fun season still. Oh, my God. That's definitely the one. We're working on that one, building uh, an army of out-of-the-blue followers, or just humans, uh, human capital for for the tailgate on that one is going to be key. (laughs) So really looking forward to that. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter at Brew. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.